the Fire Within Podcast. You need a sustainable plan, the right mindset, and the knowledge and inspiration to stoke the fire within. Just like the Phoenix, you can burn your old habits, never turn back, and emerge completely anew. There are no shortcuts. Welcome, Fire Within Nation. This is the Fire Within Podcast, where we talk about all things health, fitness, and nutrition related. I'm your host, Brandon, with my co-host, Joe. Hello. How you doing, Brandon? I'm great. You having a good week? I am. Uh, I'm excited. We got our uh, nutrition course underway, started recording that. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I made a cool exploding logo today. I'll show you after it's over. Ooh, I like exploding yeah. logos. I'm really excited for today's episode. Uh, we have a very cool guest and a lot of the things he has extensive knowledge in, I'm not very familiar with. So I'm looking forward to learning more about that today. His name is Ronan Devon. And he had been walking spiritual and holistic paths for well over three decades. This is really cool. He was born in Israel, educated in New York, and currently residing in Cary, North Carolina. He's traveled the world, spent time with teachers, masters, healers, and guides, with wisdom that spans multiple traditions, including the Far East, India, Israel, Brazil, Peru, and Indigenous America. Ronan remains a student, learning and adding modalities that will best serve his clients and according to their own unique needs. He's a Reiki master, a channeling healer working in mediumship, and a yoga and Tai Chi instructor. He is also an ordained minister with the Sanctuary of the Beloved, a non-denominational non <laughs> church in the order of Melchizedek. Yeah. Wow, I got that. I get brownie points. In his plant medicine work, Ronan is a medicine carrier affiliated with the California-based Church of the Celestial Heart. Other than his work as a healer, Ronan is also a published author, a yoga, meditation, and Tai Chi instructor. You can learn more about Ronan and his offerings via the website, www.openheartenergy.com. That is a lot. Yes. <laughs> Welcome, Ronan. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming. You've been to more countries than countries I can name and have experience in each. How about in your own words, just kind of tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you came to all this. As mentioned, I was born in Israel, but I moved here in 1999 to actually study filmmaking in New York City. That's my bachelor. And then in 95, 6, the internet started and I got drawn into that the business perspective. And then I run companies in New York City for, not in New York City, but initially in New York City for about 22 years doing business and web development. Parallel to that, I had a whole interest in other things. So I started with Tai Chi back in Queens, New York. And that was my first teacher over there. And we also were studying the philosophy of the Tao parallel to the study of the, the Tai Chi form. Then one teacher led me to another teacher and ultimately I ended up in a Hindu ashram for eight years in New York, where I got exposed to yoga, to meditation, and other uh, traditions coming from that region. Unfortunately, after several years, the, the ashram turned into a cult. Oh Myself my and several other extracted ourselves from there. I had that experience <laughs> of saying what you look at uh, TV news and, and hearing the stories, but it, it does happen. People that they let their ego take over. It was a good uh, experience in some way. Then, again, it's a much longer story, but I ended up getting involved with traditions from South America. Some I cannot name here, but... I work with different medicines from South America, ones that are more uh, okay to mention, include a medicine called Hape, spelled Rape. It's, it's ashes made from uh, different plants, uh, including nicotine arastica, which is a, a form of nicotine 
not the smoking one, that's nicotine tobacco. So nicotine arustica involved with different other plants and ashes. And I have some here I can show you after we finish. And basically you inhale that. So it looks like you're taking drugs, which is, this is absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> this actually may be good for you because it's good for fidgeting and stuff like that. Good, I'm a fidgeter. Because <laughs> <laughs> it brings you to focus very quickly, but it has also many other uh, healing properties. So that's something that I, I um, offer and I practice myself. I work with a um, plant uh, with a spirit animal called Cambo. Cambo is uh, derived from a frog in South America. It's a very small green frog, and the venom of this frog is very potent. It can kill you if it comes in contact with your bloodstream. It's, it's going to kill you. The, the frog has no natural enemies because they know better. They cap capture the frog. They tie it in an X shape on a tree without torturing it. They poke it a bit, and the frog starts to sweat the venom. They harvest that and put it on a bamboo stick, dries, and that's what I get as a facilitator. And then you know, we do everything I do is very ceremonial. So I just did, did one this morning for the people, did one yesterday. It's pretty popular because it looks like I'm the only one in this region that's doing it. I think the only other guy is in Charlotte. And my teacher was from Asheville. So this is like the three I know in North Carolina. And basically after the invocations and the opening, we do small, tiny burns on the, typically on the shoulder, not skin deep. It should not be penetrating the skin because then it goes to the blood. It has to come to the lymphatic system. And then I apply the, we call it the dots, but it's, it's the sacrament. And within moments, you start to react. It's a very challenging ceremony experience for about 15, 20 minutes. Not, you cannot do that if you have high blood pressure or if you're taking any uh, what's called SSRI or MOI medication because that can be a conflict. But otherwise, the body temperature rises very quickly, a pressure in the head, the heart races, and sooner or later you're going to start to feel nausea and vomit. You have to fast for 8 to 12 hours before. It's a very challenging process, but it's amazing to remove inflammation from the body, to reset the autoimmune system, It has a list of so many miracles. Pharmaceutical companies have been trying to harvest this for years into pills. They can't. It doesn't work that yeah. way. You have to go through the process. Yeah. Now, for the average listener, they're going to listen to that and go, oh my gosh, this is crazy way out there stuff. But we have all this talk in the news and the vaccine basically is you intentionally introduce the virus or something harmful to you so your body can learn it and get stronger. So is this similar to that in terms of this toxin from the frog? Is it stressing the body in a way that allows the body to, to become stronger after it purges? Yes, and then some. So yes, you are basically activating all the, the immune system. Everything is on alert because this is you're being poisoned. So everything comes out. But yeah. it has other effects. And I'm not that scientific. I can send you a, a paper about that. I think it's called peptosoids. There's things that are coming with this sacrament that are very healthy for the body. Uh, yeah. Like, in other words, I would not put just any venom. This specific venom is the, the only one that really works. And there's a cool story. Nobody knows uh, where it came from in terms of who had the idea of doing this for the first time. But there's a story that goes around, and nobody knows what Cambo is, because the frog is not called Cambo. And so there's a story that when the uh, invaders came from Europe to South America, aside of all the atrocities they, they performed over there, taking everything from everybody and, and raping and killing, they also brought with them viruses and bacteria that the locals were not, had no, no uh, way to have any immunity. And so they're dying in droves because of this bacteria. And the story is that one a shaman, a local shaman at the time, sat with a medicine called ayahuasca, and which gives you visions and directions. And when he opened his eyes, he saw this frog standing in front of me and in front of him and told him, this is what you need to do to heal your people. And so that's how it started. And the, the rumor is, or the story is that the, the name of that shaman was Cambo. 
So that's an interesting, uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a cool story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, just all the concepts around shamanism and healers and all this, if, we, if you really think about what modern pharmaceuticals are in Western culture, still m- most pharmaceuticals and drugs go back to things they found like in the rainforest. Absolutely. Only you're not having to go through big pharma and to pay and it's not in a white pill. It's in its most natural form. And I've never made that connection until sitting in the studio right this very minute. <laughs> so what sounds very, very just odd is actually very scientifically based. There's an effort in the Amazon I've read about where certain doctors and pharmaceutical companies that are more open-minded meeting with shamans that are more open-minded because the shamans are concerned that their knowledge is going to disappear as they're killing the Amazon and destroying all this knowledge is going to go away. So now there's a bridge. They're creating experimentations where the shamans are actually teaching the physicians what they're doing so the physician can translate that into modern terms. I also wanted to mention about Cambo that I, I had a hypothyroid situation about eight years ago. I was in my mid-40s and maybe a little... I'm younger. And I was told by my physician that the only way to fix it is to take Synthroid for the rest of my life. I didn't want to hear of it. I wanted to fix it, which I was told is impossible in conventional medicine. That set me on a whole course of uh, working with acupuncture and functional medicine, which I do believe in, but it didn't help me for this specific thing. And that actually led me to South America at the time to start to look for other things where I did sit with the ayahuasca medicine, which is legal over there, unfortunately not legal over here. And I got instructions, and it took me on a a uh, four-year journey of healing. And the last step was doing three consecutive sessions of Kambo, which is the tradition is to do the first three to do uh, within one moon month to incubate the medicine in the body. Now, just before doing the first Kambo, I happened to do blood work, and my something called TSH, thyroid stimulus hormone, which is an indicator of thyroid activity, which is supposed to be zero to four. When I started this, when I went first to the physician years before, it was sliding down to 4.7. So that's when he told me to go on Synthroid, which I didn't. Years later, I was already doing some work, but my blood work was now 35, 10 times more at Wetsubi. I got threats from the physician that if I won't start to take it, I'm going to die and all kinds of things like that. And I didn't listen. I, I really was very firm that I'm going to heal it and the way that I was told I can heal it. After the three sessions, I happened to go to the physician again um, a month or two later for some other things, and she asked me to do blood work again. And when I came, she was very smug, like saying, okay, so I see you risen up and you started to take uh, Synthroid because your blood work, uh, the TSH is now 2.7, which is great. So I told her, no, I, I did combo. I told her about it. She was totally shocked that I poisoned myself. <laughs> And she didn't really believe me. Uh, she yeah. thought maybe there's a mistake in the lab. So she asked me to do it again, which I gladly agreed. Still 2.7. She wasn't laughing anymore. I was laughing. Now it's 1.1 to 1.7. I, I reset my thyroid. And, and I hear so many different stories about what this medicine and other medicines from the Amazon are doing for people. There's a guy in the newspaper that had a, a Crohn's disease, another incurable uh, disease in the West. And the guy uh, was so severe that the next thing that he, they could do for him, uh, the pain was excruciating. There's nothing that he could do just to cut the stomach and they put it with some kind of an artificial stomach or whatever they have in modern medicine. But it's a horrible way to live. He was desperate enough to, uh, his wife found somebody in the Amazon. He traveled to the Amazon and he spent, I think, I can't remember the amount of time, so I may be wrong on that. I think six weeks with a shaman in the Amazon. And every day he had uh, different plant diets. There's many out there and ayahuasca and combo, the whole treatment. When he came back, which is not easy, but when he came back six weeks later, 
totally healed. Never, not even a sign for the Crohn, unheard of in conventional medicine. Yeah. So I think we spoke about that. When uh, a doctor tells you that there's no other way, they're right. From what they know, there is no other way. But we have Ayurvedic medicine, we have acupuncture, we have shamanic medicine. So just being open-minded to other modalities. And I'm not discounting modern medicine. I think it's critical right now with what's going on with COVID. Thank God that they found uh, the way to, to address this. I have a lot of respect. I just don't appreciate when they tell you there's no other way. Yeah. And a uh, real quick note, way back on our microbiome episode, we talked about the importance of variety and diversity in nutrients. We used to have access to over 50,000 different types of nutrients and plants. And now because of uh, modernization of, of agriculture, there's very limited amounts. And there's thousands of plants and varieties, especially in the Amazon, that, that many of us have never even heard of with all kinds of properties. So that diversification of nutrients is so important. And then another thing I wanted to just make a connection with, I'm a big believer in epidemiological studies, even if we can't prove it under a microscope. If there's a huge uh, collective of people that experience something and we haven't figured it out scientifically yet, I don't think that means there's no value to it. And so as the shaman and different people in the rainforest die off and we lose that knowledge, I, I think there's a lot of value because they've been with their people for hundreds and thousands of years and generationally they know what works and what doesn't work. Exactly. And just because they can't tell you under a microscope what's happening doesn't mean that there's not value and it's not making a difference. They're connecting with spirits, which is, of course, not something that uh, in the West would be acceptable as a scientific thing. By the way, yeah. I don't know if you're watching Surviving Death on Netflix. I highly recommend. Uh, yeah. It's very interesting because you have there a, a physician that had a near-death experience and she's a scientist. Yeah. And what she experienced, she cannot explain in any other way. So there's things we cannot explain and so many times we discard them. But not necessarily that the other explanation is correct, but we have to acknowledge that we don't know everything. And what, to what you mentioned earlier also, people used to be uh, hunter-gatherers. So we, we ate with the season, we, we were like wandering around, we're not sitting in one place. There's an interesting book, A Brief History of Humankind, I don't know again if it's a book that you had a chance to read, but it talks about how it was not men that domesticated wheat, it was wheat that domesticated the men. Yeah. Because it made us stay put in one location against the way that we were designed to be. Yeah. So we, we got stuck in Europe eating only potatoes and what have you that was uh, available yeah. at the time. So that is causing so much damage. Now, of course, we can fly stuff all from all over the world, but that's actually creating an opposite effect because waiting fruit, uh, like oh, summer wrong. fruits in the winter, the body just doesn't know how to process some of these things. Yeah. But I'm preaching to the choir. <laughs> yeah, no, this is great. Oh, I wish you were on the microbiome episode. Uh, but, uh, I think that book you're referencing, was that called Sapiens? Yes, Sapiens. yes. Hadn't read it's a that very one. good book, yeah. Uh, I haven't read it either, but it's been on my list for a while because I keep hearing good things about it. It's, it's fascinating. I, he's not a spiritualist, so that's somewhere that him and I see some things different. Yeah. But for example, he talks about how the discovery of fire made us who we are because before that we had to eat raw meat and everything raw. So a lot of energy was taken by the stomach. Once fire was discovered as a way to cook, we were using much less energy for digestion and everything went to the brain. So the brain became much more developed because of it's interesting yeah, yeah. connection between how we eat and uh, and how we think. And then I also learned that because of domestication, we lost size of the brain that would equate to a tennis ball. The brain shrunk because now we're not as diversified. We used to have a thousand jobs. We were a seamstress. We built the house. We built the bricks. We did everything. And now we're an accountant. We do numbers and right. that's it. So this is very interesting and fascinating. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'm going to shift a bit, uh, if that's okay, to something that I, I find it became a passion of mine to talk about from the healing perspective. So day to day, I do a lot of Reiki and energy work 
And it's a bit hard to define. Re- Reiki people mostly know what it is. It's channeling a certain way of energy into the person. It was discovered or created in Japan in the 1920s by a, a Japanese monk, and there's a whole story behind that. And it's very popular all around the world. There's millions of people that do Reiki. So that's one modality I offer. I just work in mediumship, so I'm a bit different than most Reiki practitioners. But uh, in mediumship, by the way, means it sounds very fancy, but it means that I'm, I was able through practice of years to empty myself. So when I do the work, I allow what I call my mentorship guide to direct me. So I know things. And people are like, how did you know that I was uh, sexually abused when I was 10 years old? I don't read your mind. But in your body, I felt a certain vibration. And that's what told me that this is the issue. So I can, how did you know that I was abused? My, my father, your left ear was blocked. So I know how to read things from the person. But it's not really about reading. It's about giving the energy. But what I find uh, time and again, both in the Reiki work that I do, in the energy work, in the plant medicine work that I do, people want to heal, but they are holding on to the illness. So, for example, somebody who is a cancer survivor, so long as they keep on saying, I'm a cancer survivor, or, I'm a recovering alcoholist, or I'm uh, sexually or sexually abused, you're still holding to it. I'm not saying deny it because this did, did happen. But there is a certain benefit that you identify yourself with this. If I'm a, I have PTSD, then people will feel pity for me and I'm going to get some more help and all kinds of things like that. So there is gain. It's only that the gain is actually uh, does not allow you to release it. What I work with people now the most is to recognize what they're gaining from saying that I was sexually abused. Again, I'm not denying it. It's all good. And whoever did that should be punished. But what are you gaining from this? Because not until you start to understand what you're gaining, you cannot release it and you cannot heal. Yeah. And those I see are doing this. It's amazing. My wife had uh, can- thyroid cancer years ago and she was holding to the cancer survivor sort of thing. We sat in various uh, ceremonies and various things. When she released it, by the way, she had to, to vomit it. She actually vomited. There was a bit of indication of uh, can- cancerous blood cells uh, in her blood. My, minute, uh, but 0.3 for 13 years. After that one ceremony that she finally released it, it went down to 0.2. Now it's undetectable. It's 0.00009, something like that. So as she was releasing the identification with the cancer, it went away. And it's it's just fascinating for me. But again, this is my biggest giveaway now to people is see what you're gaining so you can let it go. Yeah, that's powerful. And uh, some people may have experienced that as a linchpin event in their life, that there's therapists that are specialists in those linchpin techniques. So it's like a more spiritual way of approaching that. But also our last episode, we had Dr. Nora Witten on, and we were talking about pain, chronic pain, and uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton's work. He has a book called The Biology of Belief. And basically because of epigenetics, which is the protein coding on DNA, if you have negative thoughts and negative perspectives, that protein coding does change. It does respond. And so people that chronically associate themselves with an illness, there is a physical, detectable, measurable under the microscope change to the protein coding on their DNA. And that can cause that 0.13 versus whatever. So I think that's powerful. And and our beliefs do change our physical bodies. And that is provable by scientific methods as well. So for both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, what was eye-opening for me, because people come and say, I want to heal. And they do want to heal. It's not that they don't want to heal. But uh, just recently, I realized that we are gaining something by holding on to it. But we don't identify it. So it's really worth looking at what it is that you're identifying by saying that you're a recovering alcoholist. 
Yeah. There is something there. And then it's not always easy to release, but at least where you need to do the work, whether with a therapist, whether with somebody who does plant medicine, whether any other way that works for you. Nutrition is definitely a key. It's, I have no doubt. Uh, what we eat, there was a Jewish doctor, I think it was either Rashi or Cook, I can't remember. But he said, I never subscribe medicine for something I can heal with a diet. Yeah. That was his uh, thing. And he lived, in, I think, in the 1500s or something like that. He was way ahead of his time. Yeah. So uh, it's really nutrition is number one key. And then you look at your environment. How are you functioning in your environment? If you're living in a place that doesn't really work for you, it doesn't feel right, if you go to a job that you're not happy with, if you're in a relationship that is very toxic, uh, it all affects us. So what are you doing to change your world? Because it's very easy to, to be in the victim seat and blame everybody else. That's where the holistic thing comes in. You can't just... Take one thing, even if I eat very healthy, but everything else is wrong, it's not going to take me out of there. Yeah. The thing that always comes to my mind when it comes to those toxic environments, and again, everything I think always goes back to science, which is awesome to have you here because you're the other half of the equation, the part I don't understand that, that I still think has value. So this is really cool. But we know that when we're stressed, the acidity in the stomach changes. There's hormonal yeah. changes, norepinephrine, adrenaline, and the acidity does change. And when that acidity changes and the mucosal secretion changes, it disrupts our microbiome. It kills off certain bacteria. It can cause IBS symptoms. It can cause diarrhea, irritable bowel, all kinds of stuff. I know anytime I get pulled over by the police, because I'm, I'm not a great driver, and I see those blue lights go on, instantly my legs, my muscles are on fire. They're getting ready for fight or flight, although I'm not going to fly flight because I don't want to go to jail. So I wait for the ticket, and very shortly after that event, I have diarrhea yeah. every time yeah. because there's a physical change. Now, that's an acute stressor. Now, chronic stressors, bad relationships that last for a long time, they could be having a longer, uh, more integrative effect on your entire system, yeah. for sure. Looking backwards, there are multiple um, ways to look at it, but when my thyroid failed or started to fail, this was many years ago, and I was doing a lot of types of businesses, and one of them was a, a very poor choice of mine to go with somebody I knew was a crook, but I went to business with him against my better judgment <laughs> and ended up in court. I took him to court, which was the first and last time I did that. Uh, that was another lesson. I'm not into court things. And when I decided to sue the guy, because of, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but because of that, my attorney, when I spoke with him, I, I told him the story and told him what does he think about me going to court. He says, you have a case, but just know that only two out of 20 people, th three years later, when the court case still goes on, I'm happy that they made that choice. So if you want, I'll take your money, but I advise you to reconsider. I was young, I was upset, and I went to court. I'm not built for that sort of thing, and for three years I had super stress. And what happens in the body, as you probably know, the adrenal glands are the first line of defense with the stress, and when they fail, the thyroid is the next. So that's where adrenal fatigue led to the thyroid failure. And, and this is not solvable by nutrition. You have to address the, the root cause, which is that. So it's really looking at the overall uh, environment. But there's something you brought that I, I want to also touch upon um, about the fight or flight. My teacher, um, amazing brother named Kai, Kai Carrell from Los Angeles, he is a channeler of prayers, among many other things. So he, he sits down, he receives a prayer, and he writes it down, and his prayers are uh, mind-blowing and We've been pushing him to write a book, and he already has a name. It's called Pray It Forward, and I really hope it's going to come out this year. Among the many prayers, my favorite one is called the Medium's Creed, and it gives you instructions how to be a medium, but for me, it's an instruction how to be a human. And among the many uh, verses on that prayer, there's a line I want to quote. It says, May my words and actions reflect my inner beauty and the personal journey of my own healing. 
And I really took that into heart and I started to look at my language. And I said, the F word, the S word, they're not really representing what I want to present as my inner beauty. So I decided to drop them. And I'll tell you in a moment how. But then I went on a further exploration. You either do it or you don't. There's no sort of doing it. Uh, try, like Yoda says, uh, do or do not, there is not. Yeah. So I started to remove those expressions from my word. Uh, and, and then I went on and say, and this is what I wanted to mention, I need to get iPhone. No, you don't need to. You wish to get it. Because when you say need, you activate fight or flight. So need and must are words I removed from my language because, again, there's no, I need to breathe. That's right. And I need to drink water every so often. There's a few very specific things I need to do. Everything else is what I wish and what I want. And so we are creating this environment of constant fight or flight in our life by choosing the wrong words. And the way to correct it, I'll just add that, is, for example, with the FNS words, I'm programmed to say when I drop something, I would say, oh, shit. No, that's, like, that's part of the thing. So I, I flag those words in my mind. And whenever I would say it, I would allow myself to say it. But I would immediately repeat it with a, another, another oh, shucks. You know, so slowly, I, it took several weeks to a couple of months, I removed these things. Or if I say, uh, I want to go back home right now, I catch myself and I say, I want to go back home right now. I repeat it a second time. And it's amazing how you can reprogram your brain. I can tell you it's, it's working. You just have to have patience and repeat and repeat and it works. Yeah. That's uh, another tidbit. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I recently went to a, a Triangle Business Breakfast, a Scott Morris group, and I think Dr. Leslie Flowers did a, a session on words. And one of the things they actually brought up was that word need versus wish. And I've never tied in, maybe that's causing an epigenetic response because there's a hormonal association with need versus want or wish. And I'm wondering what kind of impact can that have on self-control and behavior change and changing habits? But I just wanted to highlight that. And then if you could actually repeat the connection between stressful situations, adrenaline and thyroid. Yeah. So when you stress out, and I'm not an MD, this is the way I experience it. The first line of defense is the adrenal glands. And they absorb some of this, and I don't know the, the scientific uh, way it works, but when they cannot handle this anymore, I imagine that like a river and you have a, a dam, a small dam, and then you have the bigger dam. And if the small dam burst, the bigger dam has to take more of the load, and then the thyroid is the bigger dam, and that controls so many other things in the body that if that goes or starts to slow down, you're messing up the entire system. They still don't know all the functions that the, the thyroid is, is controlling. We just know a few of them. It's a mystery sort of thing. It's like the pineal gland, by the way, which is also one of those things people don't really understand. In, in many of the spiritual beliefs, they believe that the pineal gland, which is this tiny cone-like uh, thing at the center of the brain, contains a soul. Because they don't understand the exact function of this. We know that it has certain chemicals, it, it, uh, including tea, that it produces. But why would the, the human design put this thing in the most protected area in the body? It's the center of the skull. It's like one of the most protected areas in the body. So there is a whole thing called uh, DMT, the spirit molecule, a book. Uh, there's also a movie which I didn't watch, but the book is really scientific. It was done by a psychologist that was studying DMT back in the 80s. And that's his theory after exploring it in many different directions, that the soul comes in because it closes about, and I may be wrong on the dates, I think like 42 days after inception, it closes, which according to the Tibetan Book of the Dead is when the soul comes into the body. And when the person dies, it opens up. So he made that connection, which is fascinating. But, but again, watching Survi Watch Surviving Death, the movie, one thing I'll mention from that is already on the first episode is there was a woman there that had, if I'm not mistaken, some kind of, a, I forgot the medical term, but a blood vessel that be became in the brain area. An aneurysm? Yeah and, and, yeah, and the only way for her to, to, to have this handled was to put her under, basically drain the entire body from blood, 
and do the, would do whatever they needed to do to fix it. So basically, she was clinically dead as this was going on. On top of that, they had their eye shots, ear plugged, everything. She was totally covered. And when she came out, she came back fine. She recovered and etc. She could describe she, that she was outside of the body and she could describe the tools that the surgeon used that she never saw before. She could describe the entire operation. So apparently, as she was dying, dead, her soul went out, but she did come back to the body after it was ending. You hear that from the doctors that were there on the, the stage. So if you need some proof that there is a soul in the body, this is a good series to watch. But that, that's how it works. So we don't understand how things are going, and there is a spiritual connection, and we're seeing only a small portion of the bigger picture. And we're trying to make sense because our brain is built to build patterns and see how how this can serve us or is threatening us, going back to the fight or flight. And uh, accordingly, we're making all kinds of assumptions that are just not always right for us. So it's okay to make, just know it's an assumption. It's not a, a, a perfect science. Yeah. <coughs> Have you ever felt like you were just throwing weights around like an idiot at the gym, hoping to see some results? Or after weeks or months of working out, notice that the scale just isn't moving? You wouldn't cook without a recipe. So why would you train or start a weight loss program like the Swedish chef randomly throwing ingredients into a pot? You need a sustainable plan that's science-based and attainable. Fire Within has worked with thousands of clients and helped them reach their goals. So visit firewithinnf.com today. Get yourself the free ebook. Read the testimonials and choose a service that works for you. Choose from services like one-on-one -on -one nutrition coaching, one-on-one -on -one personal training, and more. Again, that's firewithinnf.com. Wow, my mind is blown. <laughs> this is awesome stuff. You got anything to add so far, Joe? I think a lot of people probably assume that, probably falsely assume that science and spirit are it can either be one or the other when I don't know why in either one of the disciplines, because neither of them seem to limit or exclude the other, but it seems to be that's the way most people think. Like, I have to make a decision. Either right. I'm a spiritual person or I'm a scientific person. Many things that were, that's a science now used to be spiritual and then they got established as, as a science. So it is a process that we're expanding our consciousness. And by the way, I don't think that anything spiritual is correct. Too many people are like, I'm a shaman, I'm this and that. Very nice. How are you behaving? You can say that you're the uh, you're very devoted to God, but if you speak unkindly and you act in a way that has no compassion, your God is not really the God I, I think is out there. But to your point, Joe, I, I absolutely agree. I think there's a bridge. There are several scientists out there that are very connected to spirituality. Even Einstein is quoted as really going yeah. into the spiritual realm towards the later part of his life. I think what I've noticed, and maybe it's that I'm getting older, maybe I just I've noticed it, maybe it's a trend in culture, but it seems to be the animosity between the two disciplines seems to be going down a bit. It seemed like it used to be heightened on both yes. sides. Yeah. It was church related. Uh, mm -hmm. There was an issue of control. The other part was is that as technology progresses and things are becoming so easy for us, it, it's also empty. There's no meaning behind that anymore. And so we're looking for meaning beyond the technology, and that's where spirituality comes in. What is why I work a lot with people that come to me to find a life purpose. And they have an amazing job, they have a, a great spouse, they have everything that you, you can wish, but something is missing in, in that formula. And not until you find something that can fulfill you, and ultimately I can tell you that for most people it will be serving other people. It's really that simple. But you have to go through it somewhere around to realize that 
the more humble you are, the more you're being of service to your brothers and sisters, the better you're going to be feeling. I love St. Francis. He's my favorite uh, saint. And he's really selfish. When, when I'm miserable, leave me alone. I can't do this. Just go away. I'm selfish. I'm only worried about myself. So the very best medicine for somebody who feels miserable, depressed, is to pick up the phone, get on their feet, and go do something. I, I tell people that come to me, I had a woman that was, uh, without disclosing any personal information, but she was in an abusive relationship, eventually got divorced, and she was miserable. Uh, and her health was really poor and all that stuff. I gave her, aside of the Reiki and all these things, I gave her homework to go volunteer in a shelter for uh, you know, abused women. Apparently, it's not that easy. You have to go to background checks and stuff like that. I didn't know. But she did that. She's thriving today. Because when you can come out and help somebody else, you're helping yourself. Yeah. It's, it's the best medicine. Yeah, that's, that's a great takeaway. So the, potentially for many people, the purpose of life is to serve others. Now, I, I consider myself a Christian, and I'm in a Bible study group that Jay Brown and Tracy Brown teach. Oh, yeah, I know Jay. Yeah, good man. Yeah. And at the end, we were just contemplating what we were reading. And he actually... That's the conclusion he came to. He says, you know what? I think we're the reason we're on this planet is to help each other and to serve each other. And I've seen that cross borders between almost every religion, which is really interesting. There was a pastor, I can't remember if it was J.D. Greer or who, but they had studied the, the golden rule principle and how religion after religion, whether it be Christian or Buddhist or whatever, they all have this golden rule, treat yeah. others like you'd like to be yes. treated. In Judaism too. Yeah. yeah, and to see that parallel is really interesting. I don't know what it means, but it's it, just worth note. Noting. Yeah, again, another rabbi, and I'm not versed, but he said, if you want to understand the entire Bible on standing on one leg, like quickly, treat your neighbor the way you're going to treat yourself. That's basically yeah. the, the same thing. But uh, in the plant medicine work that I do, we have a saying, we are each other's medicine. Yes, this is plant medicine, this is animal medicine, they are all great, but ultimately we are each other's medicine. And in Africa, they also implement that. There's a religion called Umbanda. They say that spiritually we cannot rise until everybody rises. And I forgot the exact uh, language in forgot African language, but it means that I am who you are. We are all connected together. There's no way to separate us. Yes, we are separate souls and we have different destinies, but we are all creating each other's in each other's image. That's the God within us. And that's a beautiful concept because we think about God as something on the outside, the old man sitting on a chair and judging. No, the God is within, within each one of us. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to follow a specific religious path. But if you understand that you are divine and it's your role to act, you are divine. If you're not, then you're missing the point. There's another group I'll plug. I used to teach F3 workouts, which states, stands for Faith Fitness Fellowship. There's a women's group called FF, Females in Action. And there's these groups that get together in the morning. They're not professionally led. They just take each other through workouts. And the only rule is uh, you don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a specific religion. You just have to believe in something. And, and I think that's an amazing concept, to, to as long as they're not harmful and not violently so um, I had this, this thought the other day. I have two choices. Either I can believe that there's a soul and there's something happening after death or not. These are the ma ma major two choices. Yes, the, you, there's sub-chapters. You can believe that the soul always remains the same. This is duality versus non-duality. Or when you die, you go back to the pool and you really don't have individuality. But the soul either remains or doesn't remain. Now, if the soul remains, and I believe in that and I lived my life accordingly, when I die... I'm good. I prepared for that and I'm ready. If uh, I was wrong and I die and nothing happens, then I didn't really lose my something because I lived my life fully and I really enjoyed it. 
On the other hand, if I don't believe something is happening and I live my life in a, not in a, the best possible way, if I die, there's nothing, yes, then I, I won, but I won't even enjoy it because nothing happens. I, I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> but if I die and there is something, I missed everything. So yeah. when you look at it logically, it's much better to believe than not to believe. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think Dane Cook had, a, it may have been another comedian, but he said, what do you say when an atheist sneezes? A chew. Nothing happens to you when you die. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> I had a question about, because uh, you were mentioning earlier, Reiki healing. Like, what exactly is Reiki healing? Is that energy healing? Is that another way people say it? Yeah, it's energy healing, but it's a specific. So the story of Reiki, the way I, I learned it from my teacher, is in 1922, there was um, a Japanese monk named Usui. He wanted to get enlightened. Uh, he was in Japan. He climbed on the mountain, fasting for 21 days, asking for enlightenment, and instead he received this modality of how to um, channel uh, this universal energy for healing. Uh, the energy itself is not Reiki. It's a universal energy used in other modalities. I can use that in Qigong and other modalities I'm using, but it's a very safe energy. I work with energy that are not always safe, that sometimes I have to go deeper and I have to call in different entities that are not easy to work with. That's a whole different discussion. I'm not sure if you can go into with extractions and all these things, which the church, by the way, does believe that. Exorcism, etc. There are people that are trained by the church. And if you want to see a scary movie, you can take out the devil and Father Amorth. I never want to see a scary movie. <laughs> really? I love scary movies. <laughs> Not my thing. Oh, I love well, them. Well, it's scary because it's real. There was The Exorcist back in the 70s. That was a big thing, which was based on a real story, but of course fictionalized about in the movie. It was a girl, but in the real thing, it was a boy in Boston that got possessed, and there was a priest that uh, did the exorcism. The director of the, the uh, film, 50 years later, went to find that Father Amorth and, and hear a bit more what happened and what he's doing. So apparently he's the, he was the chief exorcist of the church at the time in Rome. And he allowed him to go into session, into a session that he does exorcism on an Italian woman. And this is scary. Like, this is really scary. I actually see these things in some of the work that I do. Not in my Reiki practice, uh, thank God, but in other things. But back to the question about Reiki. So the, the uh, monk received the modality. Uh, there's certain things that have to be done. Went back to Tokyo, started to work on people in the poor area of, the, of Tokyo, and people got better. That attracted the attention of a local physician that became interested, and uh, Usui taught him how to uh, administer Reiki. Then Usui passed on, and this physician continued. And then in the 1930s, there was a woman named Mrs. Takata, who was a Japanese ethnicity but living in Hawaii, American national. She came to the U.S. to seek for uh, some help, and Reiki was able to help her. She became very interested and wanted to learn it, being a woman non-Japanese and national in Japan in the 30s, they said no. But she was very persistent and it took her a year or two and then she eventually got what she wanted. They taught, they agreed, they taught her how to and gave her permission to teach this. She went back to Hawaii and then Second World broke and most of the Reiki in the world is now went through her. Over the years, many people added their own interpretation. So there's tons of different variations of Reiki. I practiced the original Usui one, at least in the first session. I like to do the very traditional one. And it includes the patient uh, or the client lying on a table, like a massage table, fully dressed. And uh, you place your hands in different positions on the body. And basically, you bring this energy in. Most people will feel it as heat, sometimes very intense heat, even though my hands can be totally cold. Uh, some would feel vibration, a pulsation. People that see, see colors. They tell me after what kind of colors or see visions. There's about 11 forms of mediumship. So there's clairvoyance, where you see things, clairaudience, that you hear stuff that's not in the room clear sense of smell, that I forgot exactly the pronunciation, speaking light languages, automatic writing, which is channeling of books, and a bunch more. There's irradiation, where the spirit comes from the outside and moves you, and there's uh, incorporation, when it fully takes over. You, and I've had that in Brazil. It's really scary. 
because you're out of your body while somebody else is, is moving it. But I'm again a bit on a tangent here. But in yeah. Reiki, people would feel certain things, sometimes just nothing. They would feel pleasant feeling and they would be very relaxed after. But the Reiki moves in the body and, and fixes things. To a point, if you, it took you years to get to a certain situation, it can take you some time to come out of it. And I have very good reviews on Google, which is a, <laughs> a, a mixed blessing. I, I don't want any bad reviews. I'm not saying that. But because of that, people come to me and expect that I'm going to have Jesus touch. I'm going to touch them and they're going to be good immediately yeah. after. So it's not the case. I, I do what I can, but it takes several sessions. Either way, 99.99% of the people would feel very relaxed and calm after the session. So it's a bit of a long answer, but that's basically Reiki. Yeah, I did Reiki once, and it was a very young person, and it was at a music festival in the mountains of Floyd, Virginia, Floyd Fest. Great time. It was so hot in the tent, though. <laughs> I was miserable the entire time, and, yeah. and I don't think I was in a mind space to receive a thing. I was just completely sweating. So I'm a skeptic, and yeah. so I left pretty skeptical, but uh, it'd be interesting for me to try it when I'm not sweating my balls so off. The first thing when I put somebody on the table is to tell them, your job is to relax and to feel comfortable. If you need to change the air temperature, if you need a blanket, if you need to drink, you need to go to the restroom, whatever it takes, because if they're not relaxed, it's going to be much harder for them to receive the energy. Yeah, so. it w I was very uncomfortable. It <laughs> had to have been over 120, and that is insane. It was a Netflix show with uh, stand-up comedian uh, Brian Regan had a new special come out, and he went to get a massage. He didn't realize it was a Reiki massage. <laughs> and so he said it was like 20 minutes in, and I was like, when are you going to start? And the guy's like, I already started. <laughs> and then he explained what Reiki was, and he said, I'm just transferring energy into your body. And so, the, so he said the massage was over, so I went out and talked to the reception lady, and she's like, uh, all right, Mr. Reagan, that'll be like X amount of dollars. And he was like, all right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hold my wallet out. I'm going to put it near you. And I want you to feel my money's energy. <laughs> that is like, all right, have a good day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, that being, now that being said, we're just joking. But, you know, I, I think there is something about vibrations on proteins and things like that. I, I know that there's studies done on magnetic energy of the heart. And so if somebody is in very big pessimists, like in management, I remember somebody that was just a cancer to the group. The waves that you can measure coming from that magnetic field from the heart interact with yours, and they can change protein structures, direction that the protein is moving and the vibration of a cell. I think so, the way that I see that in practical application is if you are unmarried, so yeah. I know if you've ever experienced this with your spouse, like if they have a hard time sleeping, like you can't yeah. sleep. Yeah. <laughs> There's something like you can just, you just know what's going on. You can't yeah. sleep. Yep, yeah. Me neither. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so my Western scientific brain doesn't understand it, but I know there's something there. I can um, show you, I'll show it after. I can move energy to my hand and you'll see it. You'll see that the energy is moving and I can put my hands on your shoulder and you'll feel the, the Reiki. So I can have yeah. you experience it I, firsthand. I think there's something there. I think I don't understand it. But, so um, th there's something but I do else. think that. You talked about energy from the heart. We believe in the school of spiritism I'm connected with, that we are pure light, that we are really divine energy. But then how come we have all these nagging thoughts that I'm too lazy and this guy's a schlub and all kinds of things like that? <laughs> <laughs> so we, we judge ourselves and others. So yeah. in the world of spiritism, another good movie to recommend from Netflix called Kardec. It's about Alan Kardec. Alan Kardec was a science teacher, if I'm not mistaken, for the church in the late 1800 in France. At the time, sciences and all these things were very popular. And he was very skeptic about the whole thing. It was being a scientist. And then a friend managed to drag him into a science. And what he heard from the medium is stuff that no, there's no way that she could know about him. There's no absolutely no way. And that started to create a crack in his disbelief. And then he started to approach it from a scientific perspective, first examining the tables that they're not really on any mechanism, etc. 
And when he started to see that there's really no tricks, uh, some did, by the way, there are tricksters out there. He started to interview a host of mediums and he came from it from a very scientific perspective, interviewing them. And people that never met each other talked about the same exact spirits. And so he wrote a book called The Book of Spirits, which is the, the foundation of spiritism today. It became very popular in South America. I started to read it. It's very hard to, to read because it's very archaic. But he described different entities that different mediums experience. And four major ones, not major, but four that we encounter a lot, and we actually have a, a special prayer to get rid of them, is mocking spirits, vicious spirits, sabotaging spirits, and hungry ghosts. Mocking spirits are all around us all the time. And they are the, these are the nagging thoughts. And they're around your head, and they're projecting their uh, small games onto you. And they're like, like kids, they want to play. Should I go to exercise today? No, excuses why not to do it, and all that sort of thing. So if you can identify it, knowing it's not you, it's something coming from the outside. If you have a thought uh, coming to your mind, oh, I'm so, I feel so, so lazy today, you turn to the thought, which is actually a mocking spirit, and say, no, you're lazy today. And it's amazing because it stops. It stops immediately. It won't last forever because they're going to come back in a different form. They're like, they want to play. So these are yeah. mocking spirits. Vicious spirits are much more challenging. They can haunt you for lifetimes. These are addictions. Some of the addictions can be alcoholism. And I get people like that, smoking. They, they are for the long run to destroy you. That's their end goal. And, and it's more complex. They have to do extraction. This is not fun. When I have a, somebody for extraction, I don't work the rest of the day. I usually I schedule them for the end of the day because I'm exhausted. Uh, and I can't always extract. Sometimes I have to put them to sleep because if, they, if it's a, somebody who smoked for many years, the spirit interweaves into the energy of the lungs. And if I pull it out, it destroys the energy of the lungs. So I, I can't always do that. There is uh, sabotaging spirits. This is you can't find your keys, all these fun things. And then there's hungry ghosts, which is another form typically of, of addiction. But this is a different one. They're described as an entity that has a big mouth and a stomach without lining. So the more you feed it, the more it wants. A gambling, a sex, Netflix binging, food, they're all uh, hungry ghosts. The more you give, the more they want. Wow. So there's a different way to handle them. Once you start to understand that it's not you, yes, you are affected by them, but these are outside entity working from within you, you can deal with it in a very different way. So this is the opposite of science in this specific way, not contradicting science, but explaining it from a different perspective. And that's some of the work that's being done in, in the area that I'm working on. Yeah, wow. <laughs> It's a lot to take in, yeah. but, but it's a it's an awesome perspective. Joe, you got anything to add to that? I was just thinking like a good Hasbro game would be Hungry Ghosts. I was just trying to think like how you'd play. Like, <laughs> hungry, Hungry Ghosts. <laughs> to me, it always reminds Pac- Pac-Man, the yeah. characters. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, we're almost up on time here. That is so much to chew on and so much to, this, to think about. This is one of the most jam-packed episodes we've had. And yeah, there hasn't um, been a break. I wanted to hear about what it was like being in a place that turned into a cult, but we ran out of time. <laughs> it could be a different thing. Uh, I, I think well. we're definitely going to have you back on. There's a lot I'd like to unpack in here. You have such amazing just experience and knowledge and perspective and things I've never even considered. It's been an absolute blast having you on the show and a gift. Thank you. Uh, so thank you so much for being with us. Definitely got to have you on again. Now, if somebody wants to get in contact with you and learn more or work with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, best uh, on my website, there's a contact contact form and my phone is over there www.openheartenergy.com i'm also very accessible facebook the whole almost the whole and so, some of the new uh, social media i didn't yet get into yeah. uh, they, they keep on coming with new ones as you're going along and then the other thing i i like to ask every guest if somebody wants to change their life and you can tell them to change just a couple things what would you tell them to start with or what are the most important things start with asking yourself 
why am I here? Yep. <laughs> it's a very basic ancient question. And I'll give you the answer already, but you have to ask it anyhow. This entire universe was created for you. Yeah. For no other reason. We are all actors in your own play. So what kind of game and story do you want to make your life into? And that typically can wake somebody up from a, a slapper of like slumper of like uh, going to job every day and doing the same thing and, and feeling I'm not really achieving anything in, in my life. Why am I here? And if you don't uh, feel connected with that in terms of being able to come with an answer, speak with me or somebody in, in, in position like mine because there's guidance that we can provide to help you find your answer. I cannot heal anybody. I cannot guide anybody. I can just facilitate a, a, a place where they can find who they are. That's their own discovery. Awesome. Just incredible. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. If you did, uh, go check us out at firewithinnf.com. You can subscribe to our newsletters and make sure you never miss an episode or any other content. Also, be sure to follow us on social media.